Thank you. Thank you, Jeannie, so much for that introduction. And yes, I guess uh, anytime I share or, um, you know, speak or anything, I'm always, always, always trying that that's the idea here is to, uh, is to carry a message of hope because I'm I love Alcoholics Anonymous. This is such a beautiful fellowship and such a beautiful program that um, that uh, uh, you know anytime I get to talk about it, I get excited and I and I absolutely love it. Uh, thank you for having me back at Grace Group. I've uh, talked here before. The last time you indulged me and let me do a foundation meeting, one of my favorite things to do. Uh, that was a while ago. Um, so I'm glad to be back. And yes, um, I have a coat on. I'm wearing a coat. Uh, I'm a truck driver. I don't usually wear a coat, uh, but I got one on now. Um, my friend Jack always says, uh, anytime he sees me in a coat, he expects to hear, will the defendant please rise? <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's not far from, from, from the truth of that. But um, I am glad to be here. I'm glad to be sober. My sobriety date is uh, November 13th, 2006. And my home group is Primary Purpose Group Webster. We uh, are, we're on Zoom only. We, um, PPG Webster, we're Sunday mornings, uh, 9.30 a.m. Eastern. And uh, man, it, it's fun. We study the book. Uh, it's, you know, I admit, I tell anybody it's a little bit nerdy. You know what I'm saying? We really break it down. You know, what does this word mean? You know, stuff like that. Uh, and, and it's awesome, man. I mean, like... <clears throat> I enjoy it. I mean, I love, I love all big book meetings, you know, most, most big book meetings, um, which I really love, you know, we will read something out of the book and then we'll share our experience with what we read. And I love hearing that. And I love going to those meetings um, at, at our groups, a little bit different. We're not sharing so much experience. We're more trying to di dissect, you know, what the authors are telling us, why they're telling us here. Um, and we're trying to, trying to break it down that way. So I'll say the numbers real quick. Uh, the ID for the meeting is 2690802972. And the password is 014408. And that's Sunday mornings uh, on Zoom, uh, 9:30 Eastern Standard Time. Um man. Got all this time to talk, and I just asked God to speak through me, and we're going to see what happens and see what comes out. Um, I was talking to uh, my friend Dwayne today, and I was like, man, I do so much better when I get a topic. I'll just say it. Like, you know, somebody's like, come on, and, and here's – talk about, you know, the 10-step. Man, I'll – that's great. You know, my ADD is like, sometimes I, I struggle, you know, uh, uh, sticking with it when you just give me the blank time, but we're going to see, I got my big book here and I'm definitely going to be referring to it. That's, uh, that's usually how I, how I like to do it. And, uh, I'll, I'll share some of my story with that. So, you know, I always like to start off by saying, I, you know, well, I'll even go before I first, so real quick, I'll just say, I'm not going to go on about this, but I always felt, um, I always felt a bit awkward. I always felt a bit, um, you know, like I didn't quite belong. I remember being, especially junior high. Now, everyone might feel like this in junior high, not just alcohol, not just me, you know what I'm saying? But I always felt like all these kids that I was looking at, they all like seemed to know what they were doing. They seemed to have a good idea what was going on, what they were doing. And I always felt like I was kind of like, you know, like a half a step behind everybody, you know, and I was like watching everybody to see what everybody was doing. And then I was copying that. I was duplicating that, you know, and I always kind of just felt like I said, a half step behind. 
The first night I drank, though, let me tell you, we were in the woods with this bonfire. There was maybe 10 of us and then nine of us, something like that. And, um, you know, we had we had 40 ounces of fine malt liquor and uh, it, it was it was popping. I mean, it was as soon as I started drinking, I mean, like maybe halfway through that first 40 ounce, um, something happened to me. I mean, something happened to me that was you could describe it as a spiritual experience. I, I mean, I. I came, I came alive in a way that I didn't know was possible. All of a sudden, all of a sudden I felt awake and alive and with it. And I love that. But more than that, more than that. And I didn't know this at the time because I thought everybody was experiencing this. And this is only in hindsight. What I really, really felt that night was finally I felt equal to and I felt connected to you, to other people. And, and, and alcohol really, really did that for me right off the bat. And it was, it was what I had been looking. I didn't know I was looking for it, but it was what I had been looking for. You know, and I come to Alcoholics Anonymous and I start learning about, you know, the symptoms of alcoholism and they start talking about this phenomenon of craving, right? This craving that develops when I, when I put out the action of alcohol, when I put alcohol in my body. Now, when I'm drinking, you know, when I'm like 16 years old, I don't know nothing about any of that. All I know is when I start drinking, something happens in me where I love it and I don't want to stop. And, you know, um, you know, Silkworth says the sensation is so elusive and I love, love, love that word. If one word can describe my drinking, it is that word elusive. I always felt like I always felt like I was just almost there almost where I wanted to be almost it was the next drink the next one was going to have me exactly perfect and what a what a weird ride drinking can be sometimes because it's like I don't remember and I'm not saying it ever happened but I, I don't really remember a time when like I was out drinking out with the boys having fun you know six beers in eight beers whatever it is and you know I never had the feeling of like perfect right here this is what I'm looking for. Just right here. Ryan, you want another one? Nope. I'm good. This is exactly it. It was like, it never, ever, ever seemed to happen like that. And, you know, I've learned through, through Alcoholics Anonymous that, you know, I was experiencing a craving beyond my mental control. Now I couldn't understand why these kids I was drinking with, they're talking about, oh, it's midnight. I'm going to go home. You know, we got school tomorrow or we got to work in the morning or something like that, you know? And like, to me, I'm like, you know, I don't know I'm craving more. I just don't want the party to stop. I'm having fun. I want to rock and roll. I want to keep going. You know what I mean? And I, and I really, really couldn't understand that. Now I got consequences fairly quick from drinking. Um, nothing horrible, you know, um, I don't know, like pissing in public tickets and like, you know, fights with my girlfriend and like, you know, making my parents upset and little late for work and my job flipping burger. I mean, like, you know, little things like that. Um, so, you know, I could kind of almost from the very beginning, I could recognize that. And I wanted to, I wanted to control my drinking. I could see that I mean, I was in high school, you know what I'm saying? I, I don't know, 10th grade, 11th grade, something like that. And I was like, I, I could see there was a need to control my drinking. And I was somewhat able to do that. It just wasn't that fun. You know what I mean? And I could kind of rein it in when I had to. Um, I was able to do that. But what, what happened was, as time would go by, I would say, this kind of sucks. I want to drink how I really want to drink. You know, then I'm rocking and rolling. Then I'm enjoying my drinking. And that's what that, you know, there's no control at all. I'm off the rails. You know what I'm saying? I'm just having fun doing my thing. 
And, uh, you know, because of that craving, um, I found, you know, I got more and more consequences, you know, I was was consuming more and more alcohol and, you know, the consequences started coming. And at a young age, um, I I remember like I made this, this like, well, we call it now a firm resolution. To me, it was just a commitment to myself that say, hey, cut it out, man. You can't, can't drink anymore. You know, I won't go in and tell the whole story, but I, no, I'll tell the story. It's a stupid story, but, um, I was in a blackout up here in Rochester and, uh, it was the middle of the night and I, um, I never tell the story <laughs> for some reason. And, and I, I, we were walking by a head shop, a smoke shop. This is in the back in the nineties, you know? So, um, they had a glass door. It's like two in the morning. Right. And uh, I thought it was a good idea. I said, you know what? I'm going to go take some bongs out of the shop. So I kicked with my boot. I kicked the door and I and it burst the door in the middle of the night. And I grabbed off the shelf, all these bongs. And I just started waddling down Monroe Avenue, which is a very popular street with lots of police officers here. And uh, I mean, first of all, first of all, they had a silent alarm. Second of all, the owners lived upstairs. Third of all, there was like police everywhere, you know? And I remember trying to run from the cops. I kind of came out of this blackout, like running from the cops with these bongs behind this in this alley. And they were like, they had the guns out, like freeze, <laughs> like put my hands up. And then I remember being detained and everything. And they were like, um, I was denying everything. Nope, wasn't me. Nope, wasn't me. It's like, they're like, man, we, you know, we caught you as red hand as you could possibly be caught. I'm like, nope, no, it wasn't me. You got it on camera. Nope. <laughs> but long story short, it was, it's, it's funny now, but it was a felony. I was, uh, I was 18 years old. It was burglary. It was a felony. And, um, you know, I kind of tell this because, um, they put me through, uh, they put me through this drug court system up here or whatever. And, uh, you know, I, I, I did not want to stop drinking. I was not near ready to stop drinking. You know, I really wanted the party to keep going and all the people I was chilling with, the party was keeping going, you know what I mean? So like, I felt like the man, the courts are trying to now tell me like, you're not going to drink anymore. So I kind of played the system for a while. You know what I'm saying? I kind of, uh, you know, uh, I was able to pass the urine, urine analysis, uh, for a while. And, uh, you know, I was still doing my thing lying, um, till I basically failed a failed a piss test. And um, back then they put you, if you failed, you had to go back to jail, blah, 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 whatever. Um, and I remember laying there in jail in reception. And I remember looking at the, I was on the bottom, I'm looking up at the bunk. And I just said, this is crazy, man. What are you doing? You know, like you're like 18 years old. You come from a great family. Your parents have given you all these opportunities. You're flushing it all down the way, uh, down the drain, just to, just to drink and party is stupid. Cut it out. That's it. Um, you know, that's it now plug in the jug for real. And I didn't use that term, but like, I made a commitment to myself, a firm resolution to myself that I was not going to drink anymore. And what I did was, um, I didn't drink anymore in real life. I think I made it seven months or something like that. And, you know, Silkworth talks about when we're, when we're not drinking, um, Silkworth talks about being restless, irritable, and discontented. And I go back to that time at 18 years old, being forced to, um, uh, to, to not drink um, and committing to not drink, how absolutely horribly miserable my life was. I mean, it was just like, it, it was just... I was absolutely miserable. You know, I wanted that. I needed that sense of ease and comfort that comes at once from taking a few drinks. I mean, I needed it and I could recognize it. And, you know, the way it manifested, the way it showed up is, was like, you know, road rage, um, fights with my girl about like nothing, um, 
no, not her. It's <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> um, yeah, just arguments at work with coworkers, uh, ignoring friends, just like moody and very anxious and depressed and just, just absolutely miserable. And let me tell you the day that the day that court ended, it, I was off and running big time. I mean, and there was no control, whatever. I was just absolutely off the rails and, and more consequences came. And uh, I would do these firm resolutions again, you know, they look different, but it would be like, all right, you know, cause I would go on these sprees, right? Like I would drink for, um, you know, a, a, a night, two nights, a week, whatever it was. And, you know, eventually I would come to, I would wake up and I'd be like embarrassed, ashamed, full of guilt and remorse. And like, you know, I was like, all right, man, you can't keep doing this to yourself. You can't keep doing this for yourself, you know, quit forever. So it was like, you know, I'm really good at quitting forever. I I quit forever, but but forever was like in between like five hours and three weeks. That was forever, and I did it a bunch of times. I had that down, quitting drinking, forever. Um, but what would happen is so funny. Like, what would happen after the alcohol is out of my body? It's like I kind of thought like things should get better. You know what I mean? I kind of thought things would kind of get better because I would I understood the, I understood that like once I started drinking I couldn't control it. I really understood that, you know, pretty young and I could see that. And that craving showed up, but I couldn't figure out why when I put the drink down, things seem to actually in some ways get worse. Um I couldn't really understand that. How things somehow seemed to get worse. And it was like, I would convince myself. Now I looked a few, couple different ways. Um, the most common way was like, I would tell myself, ah, uh, you're making too big a deal out of this. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, you know, obviously if you need to stop, you can stop. You just did it. You know what I mean? For one thing. So you're all right. And, or I would tell myself something like, it's the liquor, no more liquor. It's the liquor that gets you every time. That's when you get in fights. That's when you cut charges. So no more liquor. And I would stick to the beer. Uh, and I'd be off and running again. Or there was a, a, the other kind of way where it was just the, the you know, efforts basically. We're just like, I, if this is what sober is, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want to do it and I don't care and I'm going to get drunk. And, and, and it looked like that for a while. It talks about, um, you know, on page 23, talking about this craving, you know, it says these apps observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. And, you know, I, I guess, I guess that makes sense now, but it really didn't make sense to me. It didn't seem to be logical when I was trying to, to, to quit drinking, to get my life in order. Um, I didn't know that I lacked the power, that I didn't have the power. I didn't know that, you know, um, sometimes I hear in AA meetings that we're, we're broken, you know, uh, broken. I, I don't know if I really think like that. I, I think, I think I just lack the power. You know, if, um, if my cell phone, if my phone dies, right. And if the battery's dead, like it's not broken. I don't need to go exchange it. I need to plug it in. I need to, it needs to get some power. And I didn't recognize that. And I didn't know that. Um, but that's what it looked like for me. It goes on on 24 here. I don't want to one of my favorite, me and Ryan's favorite page here, 24. <laughs> uh, the fact is most alcoholics for reasons yet obscure have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force, the memory and suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. Now, 
this is what my experience shows. This is what my drinking history shows that basically I could make this commitment and I did have a mental defense against the first drink most times, you know, sometimes I got some pet peeves that I hear in, in, in AA meetings, you know, they'll say things like, uh, uh, you know, remember the worst before the first or play the tape all the way through this kind of stuff. And it just really shows like a, you know, a lack of understanding of the illness of alcoholism because, and it's, this is, I was very baffled. I'm kind of jumping around a little bit, but I was very baffled when I started coming to AA because they would tell me that play the tape all the way through, think the drink through. And like, I was able to do that. I would, the thought of a drink would come to my mind and I would say, no, you're not drinking. Nope. Forget it. You know? And then it would happen an hour later. Nope. You're not drinking. Forget it the next day. No. And, and this would go, and I could do this like nine out of 10 times, 99 out of a hundred times, you know, but at certain times sooner or later, I would just convince myself this time, this time, it was always, this time's going to be different. This time I'll be able to control and enjoy my drinking at the same time. And it talks about, that's our great obsession. And that was my obsession. That was how I drank. That was how I lived. That was, that was, that was what I obsessed over. This time's going to be different. This time I'll be able to, to do it right. And age had a, uh, age played a factor in that. You know, I was in like my early twenties, you know what I'm saying? So I kind of had this idea that sooner or later, you know, I'm going to grow up and like be able to drink like normal people. You know, I kind of, uh, that age thing really did, really did mess with me. And, you know, there's something in my brain, something in the alcoholic mind that says, it's like that defense just is not there. It's like, it compares it here to like, uh, um, there's a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. And I love that reference on 24. I love the hot stove reference. It's like, you know, if anybody did that when they were little, um, my dumb, I'll tell you what I did. I, um, we had a campfire at my cottage when I was little and we used to put glass bottles in there and watch the coals melt the glass. And I was like 12 or I don't know why I did this. I just, wasn't thinking. I just reached in the fire and grabbed the glass bottle one time, right? It burned my thumb real bad. I had a big old blister and everything. Burn. I was screaming, you know, a lot of pain. Let me tell you, I never, ever, ever have done that again. Never. I've never considered it. In fact, I'm very cautious around campfires. Like, I don't want to get, my brain knows there's that defense there. My brain knows, don't go near that. That hurts. But just not so with alcohol. I, I continued to burn my life to the ground with my drinking, and my brain would just blank that out, like just forget about that at certain times. I mean, it's 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 really crazy, you know. So what happened was, uh, go to go to one fifty two. I was checking this out earlier. One fifty two. So like you know, I started coming to AA meetings. Okay. And I thought, I thought AA meetings, well, that's all I knew, you know, go to AA, go to, you know, got a problem drinking, go to AA, go to AA. So I was doing that. Um, but it says here we, and I didn't want to drink anymore. I mean, like at this point, when I started going to AA meetings, I really didn't want to drink anymore. It says, we know our friend is like a boy whistling in the dark to keep up his spirits. He fools himself inwardly. He would give anything to take a dozen drinks and get away with them. And that was exactly right. I could go to these meetings. I could chit chat, say hi. Um, you know, like I was going to discussion meetings. 
they could talk about, you know, gratitude might be the topic in the discussion meeting. And man, I could say, a, I'd like sit there, you know, when other people were talking and think of, come up with a couple of things to be grateful for. And then I, I could share and tell you I was grateful for this stuff. But when I got back to the halfway house, man, and I was in my room by myself, I wanted to die. I mean, I wanted to die. And I, I, I really, it was a really, really dark, truly miserable place to be. And, you know, I was, I was, I was doing that, you know, whistling past the graveyard to uh, try to trick myself into someday feeling the way you guys seem to feel in the AA meetings, because that would mess me up. You know, I'd see everybody laughing, joking, having fun. And I kind of thought, man, when I stopped drinking and when they stopped drinking, they, we're not feeling the same because there was, I, I, I couldn't laugh. I couldn't smile. You know, I was just stare, stare at my shoes pretty much. Uh, totally full of fear, headphones on, have a hood on and all that stuff. I had no eye contact. I just was so, uh, it was, it was not a fun place to be. Well, you know, my, my, um, my spirit had not awoken and I was, uh, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think AA meetings will produce that, you know, that essential psychic change, that spiritual awakening. Don't get me wrong, please. If people come at me, I love AA meetings. I am all about AA meetings. They're awesome. I just don't think they'll produce that essential psychic change. I don't think, you know, a hundred AA meetings and a hundred day, 90 meetings in 90 days will awaken my spirit enough to, to, to overcome this kind of, uh, this, 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 this thinking that I'm talking about, you know, it says here, um, you know, someday he cannot picture life with or without alcohol. And to me, that's when the, that's when the surrender happens, because I remember being like that. I remember thinking, man, I can't go on like this. This is so miserable. I can't sleep. I, I'm just like obsessed, you know, thinking about drinking all the time. Um, I can't go on like this, but I knew I couldn't drink either. I don't have the courage to kill myself. Um, I, I just really felt like no way out, you know, absolutely feel like no way out. So, you know, at that point, it's time to, uh, get a sponsor and start doing some work, you know, and, and we did, we rock and rolled, you know, I don't have time to get into all the steps and stuff like that, but we got into it. And I will note when we got to, um, page 62, um, I know I'm kind of jumping around a little bit here, but when we got to 62, I remember, I remember sitting there at this, this guy's kitchen table and he, you know, he, he had just taught me so much about alcoholism, all the stuff I've been talking about, you know, this physical craving and this, uh, you know, mental obsession uh, that somehow someday I will control and enjoy my drink. And I just learned all this stuff. So now I'm like starting, I got some knowledge about alcoholism and, and that was cool, you know? And then I remember we get to 62 and it's like, it's almost like a big old bait and switch. You know what I'm saying? It's like, well, actually drinking's not really your problem at all. You know, like it's selfishness and self-centeredness that we think is the root of our troubles. And I'm like, what? Like drinking's my, drinking's my problem. You know what I mean? That's how it seemed anyways. That's where, that's where all my consequences came from was me drinking too much. You know what I mean? So it seemed logical that that the drinking was the actual problem, but it says here, you know, in our third step stuff that, that, that my selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of that. And then it says our troubles, we think are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves. And I'm the, uh, and I'm an extreme example of self-will run riot, though I usually don't think so. And, you know, it took some, I didn't really grasp what, what, what this guy was trying to 
what the book was saying and what my sponsor was trying to explain to me. But when I was able to take some time and really look at my life, you know, look, look this is why I love, I love lots of, I, I love working with, working with guys, but one of my favorite things to do is to listen to a fifth step because this is part of what bonds me to you is this, this selfishness, this self-centeredness, you know, it's so cool to, um, it's so cool to listen to a fifth step. And, you know, I've I had the honor and privilege to listen to lots of fifth steps from lots of different walks of life, right? Older guys, younger guys, gay, black, you know, whatever it is. And it's like, no matter who you are, our circumstances and consequences are different. But like when it all boils down, it's just like, I feel so connected to you because it's really, really the same stuff deep down. It really, really is. And it's such a, just a, just a beautiful process. You know, the same, the same selfishness, the same self-centeredness where we just instinctually believe we are the center of the universe. It's, it's like my default is to think that I, Ryan is at the center. And, you know, when I, when I get to hear fifth steps, I can see that with, with, with other guys and it's just so beautiful. And, and, you know, there's a few, few characteristics that it seems we all have in common. That's one of them that, that, you know, when we start really peeling the onion back and really start looking at stuff, we're able to see that, man, you know, like that, that, that self-centeredness really, really, really owned me. And, you know, the beautiful thing about this process is it takes self out of the center and it puts God in the center. And, and, and it's just so beautiful. Also, uh, another one just off the top of my head is like this, we all have this feeling that, um, you know, my case is different. Yeah, but you don't really understand because of this or because of this, or I was raised like this, or I'm on the, uh, whatever it is, you know, it's like every single one of us has this kind of feeling that like, no, you don't really get it because my case is different. And it's just so fascinating. It makes me feel so connected when we, when we get down and talk like that stuff, you know, so, you know, moving through the steps. Um, well, let me talk. Let me talk about year 2020. I got a little time here. Let me talk about 2020. Now, I always got mixed feelings about talking about 2020. I know it was a horrible year for a lot of people. And I, if it was for you, I, I don't mean any to offend anybody. Honestly, I really don't. Cause I know it was a really tough time for everybody. It was like the greatest year I could remember. I mean, it was just like, um, I grew more spiritually in, 2020 than I had since my first year um, um, sober. And I know what's cool is a lot of us, um, you know, a lot of us had that similar experience. You know, Josh, who's usually on the call, we talk about this stuff all the time here, you know, like it basically, it basically, we were able to find the fellowship we were craving that we didn't know we were craving. <laughs> um, you yeah, know, Risa knows. Um, what happened was we, uh, you know, it was cool to like, okay, you know, the meeting shut down. And uh, so we started doing local uh, Zoom meetings, you know, whatever. And it was, it was fine. You know, it was what we had. So it's what we did. And then one night we were like, why are we just staying in Rochester? Like, so we just started Googling. No, it was both of us. We started Googling like San Francisco AA and just like jump on a meeting over there. Or like, then I started thinking about it. I'm like, yo, I've been listening to the speaker tapes for a long time. And there's some, I got like a bucket list of meetings I want to go to throughout the country. Let's, let's see if they're on, you know what I mean? So we, 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 <laughs> we started doing that. Um, one that I was dying to go to kind of sucked, didn't like it, didn't go back. 
Um, <laughs> another one uh, that I was dying to go to was awesome. And um, we, we kind of, uh, we started going to that. That was PPG Dallas. And then we started doing uh, primary purpose group Austin. And man, the way these guys were studying the book, it was really, really what we had recent. When I'm saying we, it's recent. I really, what we have been looking for. I mean, we had just never experienced people. It was so cool, man. The Austin meeting, I mean, it was like at the time, it's smaller now, you know, they still get 100 or 200 people. But at the time, it was like 500 people, you know what I'm saying? 500 people from all over the world, legit big book nerds like us who were just like enthusiastic about the book and about the, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and man, we got fired up. I'm, I'm going to tell you, man, I was 2020 was just like, it was off the chain. It was just like, we were so enthusiastic and so excited about sobriety again and recovery and, and the big book. And it's like, we started like meeting all these different people from all over, you know, and my, my, you know, sober support or whatever you want to call it. My friends in recovery, like, it's so cool. Like they're from all over now, you know what I mean? Like really all over the world, but, but definitely all over the U S and it's just like, I, we were able to find, you know, like-minded people that were kind of looking for what we were looking for in, in, in AA meetings. And it's just been so cool. And, and it gave me a new zeal. It gave me a new um, enthusiasm for doing the actual work because, you know, I openly will talk about, I went um, over a decade, maybe more without writing an inventory. Um, I basically, during that time, I didn't know it, but basically during that time, I was working the first step and the 12th step. I always, always, always had sponsored people. My first sponsor just drove that home. So I, I basically had always sponsored people. But when it came to like steps 10 and 11, zero, I mean, like I, I was working step 10 kind of in this reactionary kind of way, you know, like I would... I would uh, put my foot in my mouth, say at work or something. I would kind of insult somebody, step on their toes. And then I'd say, oh, the right thing to do is ask God to remove this, call my sponsor and go apologize and go make amends. And I had done that, you know, randomly uh, throughout that whole period of, of, of recovery, you know, and I kind of had missed the ball. I think of what the 10th step, the nature of the 10th step really is mostly with that word watch mostly with that word watch, because, you know, we get those beautiful ninth step promises. You can see at that point, we're spiritually awake. Um, but at the 10th step, we start to get, be spiritually alert and really following my thought life and really following. It's fascinating to do, you know, it's fascinating. It's, it takes a lot of practice, but it's cool to actually follow my thoughts and see, see where the selfishness creeps up, the resentment, the fear, the dishonesty, all that stuff. When it pops up, you know, I can, I can follow the program exactly and do what it says to do. Now I'm not perfect at it at, at all, you know, and I go through phases too, you know, I'll be real strong 10 step for like a couple months, you know what I'm saying? Driving my sponsor crazy, calling all the time, you know? And then like right now I'm kind of in a lull, like I don't think I've 10 step with them in a couple of weeks. Um, <clears throat> but back to the internet AA thing, what's cool is like, you know, when I, when I, when it's time to 10 step, um, my sponsor is always my first call no question, but he's busy. He's runs a business or two or whatever he does. And he's got a lot going on. So sometimes he doesn't answer the phone. And my second call is like usually to Texas or California, or, you know, it might be Josh in Mississippi, West Virginia. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'll call. Right. And, and, that, and that's so cool. You know, um, just another thing I love about, uh, about where we're at with, with internet AA. Um, 
you know, we get into this 10 step promises and, and, and I won't read the whole thing, but I do want to make this point here. It says, uh, we've ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol for by this time, sanity will have returned. So by the time I'm at the 10 step, um, I'm not drinking and I'm not even really thinking about drinking. The problem at this point has been removed and I'm placed in a position where I'm safe and neutral from drinking. And, you know, they're talking about this on page 84. So that's basically from 60, 63 to 83 and 20 pages, 20 pages. And I have recovered from that hopeless condition of mind and body. And it's beautiful. It says, we'll seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. So now I'm reacting. By the time I'm here, I'm reacting to the thought of drinking the same way I'm reacting to sticking my hand in the coals of a campfire. I, I, I'm reacting sanely at this point. And just what a beautiful process to get us to that point. You know what I mean? It's, it's this path to power. It's, it's what I say. It's what Alcoholics Anonymous really has to offer. Two things, identification and a path to power. And this makes the program so absolutely beautiful. My biggest area of growth that I can see um, since 2020 has been actually, uh, Chris Schroeder always talks about putting the word actually in front of the steps. <laughs> so I like that, like actually making all our amends or actually, uh, you know, doing prayer and meditation. So by me actually doing um, what the book says to do um, when I retire at night and sitting down and doing a written inventory. And doing exactly what it says upon awakening. Um, I've just been able to see, you know, a lot of changes through that. And it's back to, I'm still talking about my thought life at this point. Um, but, you know, make, I'm able to do a constructive review at the end of the night. I do it written. Um, I'm not perfect. I don't do it every night. I do do it most nights. And, um, you know, I, I can answer the questions right out of the, without going through it, but I can answer the questions right out of the book. And just quickly kind of run through it. I remember the first the first uh, time I did it, it took like an hour. And I was like, Yo, I ain't doing this. This is crazy. I'm not spending an hour, um, you know, before bed. I just, I can't do that. It's just crazy. Then I had a friend tell me that, um, why, don't you, why don't you look at what it really says there? It says when we retire at night. So I always thought that meant when I go to bed. But when we retire is like, what's the definition of retire? When we're done working. So like when the dishes are put away, when dinner's over, dishes are put away, time to sit down on the couch, watch some TV, whatever it is, like I'm retired for the night. And that's when I still have enough juice, enough still enough energy to, to actually thoughtfully do a constructive review. Um, then, you know, at the bottom of, of that, it's, it asks what corrective measures need to be taken. And these are often common for me. Uh, the common ones are, you know, um, reach out to more uh, AAs on the phone. Um, I talk to at least three members of AA on the phone every day. I try for six, but um, I'm usually in between there somewhere. Um, I drive truck for a living, so I'm able to use the phone sometimes during the day. Um, <clears throat> more conscious contact. That's on like just about every night. More conscious contact, deep breathing. Um you know, I kind of had this uh, realization not too long ago. I used to always said my sobriety is the most important thing in my life. My sobriety is the most important thing in my life. And and it is. Um, but I think maybe even even above that is, is conscious contact, conscious contact with God. Um, because I think without that, the sobriety is not going to be there anyways. And, you know, I, 
basically what my life is all about today, maybe the most important thing is trying to improve that conscious contact with my creator and seeing different ways to do that. How can I do that? How many times throughout the day can I say thy will not mine be done? How many times can I take a deep breath, just a deep breath and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for my sobriety. Thank you, God, that I'm alive and sober here today with this beautiful, beautiful life that we have. Um, so that, that's the kind of stuff that's my corrective measures. Now, upon awakening, I pull that back out the next morning. Okay. So when I'm considering my plans for the day, I'm looking at my corrective measures from the night before. And I think that's how we grow. I think that's how we grow is by bringing, you know, what needs, what can we do better? We're bringing that into the morning and then that's kind of on my mind for the day, something like that. So by doing the written nightly inventory, I noticed throughout the day, it's like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to have a bad inventory tonight. So let me kind of focus on, uh, you know, uh, doing what I'm supposed to do here. And it's been a big change for me. And, and the last step, you know, step 12, I mean, like I said, I've always sponsored people, but this has been a change for me since internet AA also. So like I always sponsored people exactly how I was sponsored, um, which was basically uh, one guy in the steps at a time. And we would sit down one for one hour a week and we would read, uh, we would read for that hour. We start at the, you know, the, the title page. And we would read through line by line together and he would write down the notes that I had in my book and he would highlight what I had. And I would talk about the same exact talking points every time. And, uh, and that was how I did it. And what was happening was, you know, I, I got kind of in a box, you know, with our program, like, you know, it was basically like I had this few certain things. I had them down really, really good. But there was so, so much that I was missing and so much, you know, so much, so much more, I guess, you know, I was talking to a friend on the phone today. We talked about the lines from it's from our nine step on 77. It says our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and those about us. And I, we we're talking about that word fit. And it's like, how can I fit myself, you know, to, to to be of maximum service. And, you know, that means for me, what I'm learning is, is, you know, it's not a cookie cutter kind of thing. I mean, in some ways it is, but like everybody doesn't have to do exactly, you know, I, I used to sponsor people. I had the five, these five requirements and it was five things. Call me every day, go to a meeting every day, get a home group, get a service position and meet with me once a week for the steps. So that's how I did it for years and years and years. And it's like, that's cool. That's how I was sponsored. That's what my first sponsor did for me. And, and so like, that was what I kind of carried on. But lately I've kind of gone more to like what our program says, you know, what our program is really telling us to do. And it doesn't really say call your sponsor every day. It doesn't really say go to a meeting. It's cool. Go to a meeting every day. That's, that's awesome. You know, I definitely recommend getting a home group with a service, being willing to do service and getting involved. I think it's absolutely vital and I highly, you know, suggest and, and, and urge people to do that. But, you know, the thing I kind of do now is I, I, yeah, I kind of speed up the process, I guess. You know what I mean? And, you know, nowadays, like I'm able to sit down with a guy and we can get through step one, two, and get you thinking about some third step considerations like immediately because there is a time, you know, there is a time factor here. You know, it says you know, I can't remember the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. 
So that tells me that if you're a real deal alcoholic, you know, within a week or a month, my mind is going to start telling me this time will be different. This time you will be able to control and enjoy your drinking. So I got this timeline. So like, I want to get these guys into inventory as soon as possible and get right through this process. Now, you know, does some stuff get missed? Yes, absolutely. And I, I highly recommend people getting into book studies to, to, to learn the book and to get the book, to get it down, you know, but how effective am I if I'm spending six to nine months with one dude in the book, you know, how helpful am I really being, you know, because I'll tell you, I can't sponsor a million people. I mean, I got a full-time job. We have two young kids. We have a marriage, I, you know, a much more, much greater demonstration of these principles lies before us in our respective homes, occupations, and affairs. I, I, I just, I want to be as helpful as possible, but I can't sponsor too many people. So, you know, now I'm able to have more people in the steps at once and I'm able to be, you know, more effective and probably more helpful because I'm finding a way to fit myself to be of maximum usefulness. And, you know, I've learned that from, from, from studying the book. I get, I know, um, you know, <laughs> I may be guilty of, um, obsessing over the mechanics too much. I'm, I admit, I'm probably guilty of that. I, I, I do love the, the mechanics, but the, and the mechanics are not, is not the power. Okay. And I understand that, you know, God is the power and, and I, I do understand that, but the mechanics have, have, I do find them fascinating and I do, I love it. I mean, I absolutely love the program. I love how it's laid out. I love how we can go through it. Um, you know, from, from some research that's been done, uh, you know, the, initially the pioneers, they, they were going through this work fairly rapidly, fairly quickly, and it seemed to work for them. You know, uh, Wilson went through his steps, basically uh, day three and detox there. And uh, brother managed to stay sober for, for quite a while, 36 something years till he died, something like that. Um, but I think it's all about 10, 11, and 12. You know, we refer to them as uh, AA's relapse prevention plan, 10, 11, and 12. You know, when you come out of, um, you know, uh, treatment centers and stuff like that, they always like to give you a relapse prevention plan. And, it, you know, I'm sure it's some good stuff. Go to 90 meetings in 90 days and don't get in a relationship for the first year and uh, change people, places, and things. And you get your trigger list and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I don't have too much opinion on the treatment center kind of thing, but, um, you know, it seems to me that once we've, once we've finished that, once we're working, once we're working on our amends and getting through our amends in that ninth step, you know, 10, 11, and 12 people that faithfully are actually doing that work, 10, 11, 12 are the people I look up to. And that's the life I want to live. That's like, that's safe and protected. Anytime I know tons of people who have gone out after time, after having a year or two, five years, 10 years, we got someone here who has someone here in town who, who drank after 40 years sobriety not too long ago. And like, I always ask them the same exact question. How often were you calling your sponsor for a 10 step? What did your prayer meditation look like? And how many guys were you sponsoring? And, you know, if you can't answer those questions satisfactorily, then you're not really working the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I found that by me working those 12 steps and especially 10, 11 and 12 and not working them, working them and living in them, uh, my life has just been so much better, tremendously better. And, you know, I'm just really grateful for I'm really grateful for where God has has me right now. 
Um, you know, like I say, we have two beautiful, wonderful kids. Um, I have an awesome wife. I love my job. <laughs> yeah, there she is. I love my job. Um, I look forward to going to work. I mean, like I start when I leave the house at four 30 in the morning, like I'm, I'm, I'm fired up. I got another guy that I'm friends with the sponsor that uh, drives a garbage truck. He's already up and at him. We talk recovery. We're on the phone four 30 in the morning, talking recovery. Like my, Alcoholics Anonymous is the, the backbone of, of my life. Pretty much. Um, all things AA. I love, uh, I love sponsoring guys. I love being sponsored. I love talking recovery. I love listening to recovery talks. Um, I like studying the big book. I, I love AA meetings. I, re I really do enjoy all that stuff. So I feel like God's tapping me on the shoulder to wrap it up. So uh, no, God, not you. <laughs> so that's all I got for tonight. Thank you so much, Grace Group. I love it here. Thank you guys. Thank you, Ryan. That was awesome. Yeah. Nice to be under the influence of Alcoholics Anonymous instead of the rest of that stuff we were under the influence. Um, 